and I think like this sort of stuff more generally has made me appreciate that a lot of times you can have a lot of talent and you um you can have a lot of a lot of willingness to work, but sometimes just having that opportunity show up on your doorstep makes your life completely different. In this episode, I have a conversation with Brad Chatigun. We talk about his journey, starting from high school in Trinidad and Tobago. Brad went to Caltech and got a bachelor's in applied and computational mathematics. After, he directly moved into an MBA program at Yale. Following his MBA, he delved into economics research, first at the Yale School of Management and then at the Harvard Business School. He is currently a data analyst at a private equity firm. So I actually know Brad Chatigun from high school. Um, he was two years above me, and he sort of put his name on, I would say, the Trinidad map when he won the President's Gold Medal in 2010. So this will this will come up a couple times. But the President's Gold Medal is the highest academic award you can achieve at the secondary level from Trinidad and Tobago. So. Let's start from that point in time when you won the President's Gold Medal um, when you were at high school. So can you tell me, were you always one of the smartest students in high school? Did uh, people yes. expect you to succeed? Uh, you know, that, is a, that is a complicated question uh, in the sense that, yeah, I, I would say I was, you know, I was at the upper edge of the class I was in. Um, we, we used to get ranked every every term based on uh, performance in end of term tests and yeah I, I would typically be in the top 10 uh, especially for the first five years I'd be around there uh, but typically not not above like the fifth position in general I remember one time I was kind of like starting to to fall at like ninth and tenth and I was like oh I gotta I gotta try harder next next term <laughs> keep it good uh, but then yeah and then I think you know towards the, the last couple of years which would be you know the sixth form uh I, I definitely started putting a little bit more time there. I think also the stuff that we were working on was more focused on, you know, science and math. And that was stuff that I was interested in. Um, I think, you know, earlier on, we had a, a bigger battery of, of courses, so geography and that sort of stuff, which I wasn't as as taken with. So I think, you know, as I got to focus more, I definitely was able to perform better overall. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I was definitely like, one of the smart kids. Did people think I was always going to succeed? Uh, I do remember the vice principal at the time, uh, Jeffrey Jagmer Singh. Jack, Jeffrey Jack, Jagmer Singh, rest in peace. Uh, he did mention one time. He's like, "Yo, Brad, I'm not really worried about you. Uh, you, you, you'll be fine. Yeah, you've been doing well, and, and you'll continue doing well." Uh, but at the same time, did people expect me to win the President's Gold Medal? No, uh, I was definitely not the the favored person for that. Uh, as, a, as a candidate from the school um, for various reasons. Uh, I wasn't exactly the model student. Uh, I used to kind of show up late to school every day. Uh, when I got, when, uh, fortunately, when I was able to get my own car, I would leave early sometimes for some reasons. If I thought that the school, if I thought the class in that afternoon was just going to be empty and not useful, I'd just ship out. So, uh, you know, I, there, there's like some questions there. Was I the smartest one? Not the smartest, but I was up there. Uh, did I work hard? Yes. Uh, did people think I was going to do really, really, really well? Maybe not, but I also was kind of like a little bit delinquent, you might say. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you think made that difference between you starting to succeed later on? 
you know, la- later mm. on in the academic years? Because you said one of the one aspect was a uh, having a large amount of subjects to write, but what made people do better than you then? And when you transitioned to a smaller subset of classes, what was that? Uh, what did you have that they didn't have that caused you to start being better than them? Uh, I kind of had something to prove. Um, there, <laughs> I, I, I guess like partially to myself, um, <laughs> I had like some weird social fallouts over the years and that kind of inspired me to be like, Hey, you know, I, I'm going to prove to these people who I had these social fallouts, but I'm going to be like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to do really well. And I'm going to be able to look back and kind of say, Hey, yeah, I, this, this social falling out was I didn't lose out here. It was these other people who kind of like left me that, that were on the losing side of that. Uh, and so, yeah, it was like kind of like this, this weird anger to, to kind of like stick it to the man and be like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to come out of all of this stuff uh, ahead. I'm going to do well. And I'm not going to have anything where I look back and say, Oh, I, I, I couldn't, I should have handled that. Uh, or maybe I, or rather, hmm, how would I put this? I didn't want to, look back on these kind of like negative experiences and think, oh, wow, I'm in a worse place relative to these other people that I had this falling out with. I so see. I wanted to yeah. work really hard and kind of get good and, and kind of get ahead. And in a lot of ways, I was I was kind of unhappy with the environment I was in like I didn't have a whole lot of friends uh, I was definitely wasn't a popular kid uh, back at that time and so when when I when I'm in that kind of environment where I'm really not happy with my situation I tend to work really hard because I want to get out of it and try to you know get into a place that I feel more comfortable I see I see what was uh so this was a combination of like uh, falling out with so I guess the three groups I can think of, and you can tell me if there are more, um, I would say like friends, uh, it could be like teachers or parents. Was it any of these or some combination of them? I, I think it would probably be a combination of all those three. <laughs> all those three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, uh, I was definitely not a, not a, let's say easy to get along with person when I was younger. Uh, I think I've, I've definitely improved in that regard. I'd like to hope so. <laughs> okay um okay so let's move on um to you deciding you wanted to win the president's medal because <laughs> it's i don't think for a lot of people it's not it's not accidental you know so i guess is it true that you sort of made a decision you want to go after this award that is actually completely not the case. <laughs> this, oh, okay, this is okay. one of those cases where that was a total accident. Uh, the, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what were you accident. aiming to get? I just what wanted you to get for? an open scholarship. Uh, the thing that yeah. I knew coming into the last couple of years of school was like, hey, I don't think I want to stay in Trinidad. I don't really fit in here. I kind of want to explore, um, you know, like, like one of these fancy universities. I wanted to live abroad and see what that's like kind of like experience yeah. a new culture and that sort of thing. And I was like, Hey, I, I don't, my family doesn't have that kind of money to make that happen. Just, you know, out of nothing. So I really, really yeah. wanted to win a, an open scholarship. You had to, uh, which is, you know, the, the, the next highest 
kind of like scholastic award that you could win them. But there's, uh, I think, like a hundred of them every year or something like that. And they pay for your entire uh, undergraduate degree and, and they pay with a uh, stipend and all this sort of stuff. I was like, hey, this is this is my ticket to kind of get to experience something abroad and go to school abroad. And I just wanted, that was my goal. And then it just happened that in that process, I, I worked, I guess, hard and uh, I happened to luck into this President's Gold Medal thing. And actually, part of that part of that process for me was I knew people who had actually in my year they wanted to win it and you know obviously there was only one for the for the stem category and i wanted and so i was i remember thinking wow that's so random there's all these other people who were so they were so sure they were going to win it and they tried so hard and they didn't and i I don't mean that in the sense i don't mean to bring this up in the sense of oh look at me i'm so great and they're so not great i mean in the sense of it's very difficult i think to want something where there's only one person who gets it because the probability that you're that one person typically is not that high uh i think it's it's probably in a general sense better to just like have more achievable goals but work really hard for them and maybe in those circumstances you kind of exceed where you're where you were going to be and then you know it works out for the best but uh i i was i'd never have planned to win this thing i i never had any 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 hope or, or, or dream that I would win this. This was not something on my radar. I was just like, hey, open scholarship. I think I've locked that in. Great. Okay, that's super... Uh, I'm super happy for you then. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that's, uh, I don't know, a very... Um, I, I don't want to say lucky, you know, because obviously... Oh, no, I that know, is it, lucky. I, know. I, I think everybody who wins that award is lucky. Well, I, I don't like to say that because it sort of takes away from the the idea that you got it it's not like a lottery you know like you mm. you put in the hard work and yeah so but yeah there there is some you know like the the classic success is when um preparation meets opportunity mm. or luck or something yeah it's oh. opportunity is the i believe opportunity the, the okay yeah. yeah so but so there is some some basically it, it uh, there is some component of luck i think but i think the preparation is re- like that has mm. to be there for that to oh yeah i mean 100 really right like I, I didn't just yeah. i didn't just like sleep for two months and then show up to the exam and be like oh hey well time to do this <laughs> yeah, i was up every day uh, i remember like chemistry was my worst subject because it was the most uh it was a subject that you had to memorize the most stuff for and so yeah. I, i've never been really good at that so i remember i would wake up every morning and the first thing i would do every morning is to go back through past exams in chemistry and I'd make yeah. sure I, I could go through an entire exam and try to do it. And if I got stuff wrong, well, then, you know, of course, go relearn that. But that was something that I put in a lot of effort in compared to stuff like uh, applied math and, and pure mathematics and physics, which I, I kind of mm-hmm. I was really good at already. And in fact, that uh, those were the subjects that uh, I think count would have counted towards me, my uh, my uh, evaluation for the, the gold medal. But yeah, I, I remember being like, "Hey, this is stuff that I'm really bad at. Let me let me spend a lot of time here, and I put in that effort." And so, yeah, it's definitely not like, "Oh, hey, yeah, I I I'm lucky because I won a lottery." It's more like, "Hey, I'm lucky because it just so happened." And I think you you might probably have a comment on this. It just so happened that the the quote unquote recipe for winning the gold medal turned out to be do those three subjects because they're the easiest ones to place really high scores on. Uh, yeah. And so I just happened to luck into that. And in fact, my story to get into applied mathematics was really lucky. Uh, one of my friends who I had done 
um, the additional math curriculum with during the first part of the, the first five years of school, he wanted to do something extra as, um, as part of his sixth form experience. And his dad was say, said, hey, you could do applied mathematics. He, his dad will teach him. And then he told me, hey, I'm going to go do this thing, applied mathematics. Do you want to do it, Brad? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, more math, great. And then I ended up uh, taking that course with, uh, with his dad for a year. And then this, and actually the second year, his dad had gotten busy and his, uh, his dad said, hey, Brad, you know what? You, why don't you self-study this and teach the other kids um, the curriculum? And I was like, oh, okay, that's crazy. So for the second year of applied mathematics, that was basically entirely me self-teaching and teaching myself and then teaching the other two kids in the class after I um, taught myself what to do. Hey, here's how this works to get up on the whiteboard explaining stuff. And yeah, it was like that in of itself was lucky. It was just like, oh, hey, friend who wants to do applied mathematics, who has dad who's willing to teach him applied mathematics, who extended an offer to me to join him. And I was like, great. So yeah, there's a lot of luck involved. And I think, and I think like this sort of stuff more generally has made me appreciate that a lot of times you could have a lot of talent and you um you could have a lot of a lot of willingness to work but sometimes just having that opportunity show up on your doorstep makes your life completely different i'm pretty sure had i not done the applied mathematics uh course where i and i know, and I know that i placed first in that in the caribbean like if i hadn't done that i probably would not have been the top scorer um in the three subjects that count for the gold medal so yeah, like, yeah, I agree. You know, it's when preparation meets opportunity. But yeah, there's a lot of luck involved. And there was a lot of luck involved in my case as well. Wow, that's crazy. I had no idea that you not only self-taught applied mathematics, but then you went on to also teach it to other people. So that brings up another question. So back then, there was no tailored textbooks for applied mathematics for the Caribbean. So nothing like... Uh, applied mathematics for CAPE, which meant that you had to take the syllabus and use and, and seek this information externally, such as in other textbooks on the internet. And I just wonder what that process was like, because you were navigating this material for the first time on your own without some sort of dedicated resource. Uh, did you end up sometimes learning too much in some places or sometimes less <laughs> less uh so i don't think less was uh was a thing that i'm happening to you know based on the outcome at least but the yeah so I, I think uh you raise like a good point which is there's that if you were to ask me like looking back on this well, as you're as you're describing it that actually seemed kind of like an insane thing to me uh, <laughs> but at the time i was just like yeah okay sure i'll just do this uh and yeah, I, I guess like this is a more general thing about that. I, I, in some ways, I'm kind of envious of young me is that that young me just didn't, he didn't think about what was possible or what was not possible. He was just like, hey, I'm just going to do something. I was going to do this. Uh, and it doesn't matter how likely it is. I'm just going to go do it. And so for this, I fortunately, I was lucky enough that the syllabus at the time, uh, it's probably still like this. They had a pretty good uh, description of exactly what you needed to learn and they even had you know some recommended textbooks and that sort of stuff so that that was basically the set of textbooks and knowledge that I was able to to find I was like oh hey for this 
for the practical mechanics. Hey, we at you know the Caribbean Advanced uh, Proficiency Exam Council or CXC, uh, they said, hey, we are going to be interested in practical mechanics, and we recommend this textbook that we're going to be using as our reference internally for what you should know. So just went ahead, got that textbook, and just went through the appropriate chapters. I think they might have even spelled out exactly which chapters you needed to go through. Uh, yeah, now one of the things that would have been kind of unclear was like, oh, hey, how much of this do I need to know in the sense of, hey, do I need to know this part in, in really extreme detail or this other part? Because at this time, applied mathematics was still very new in the, uh, the CAPE curriculum. So in some ways, I may have overlearned things, but you know that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It just means hey, you get more experience and um, more uh, more expertise building in those in those subjects. And so I remember I would in this this process of having to teach myself first and then go ahead and teach the other the other guys. I remember I would spend like recess and lunch. I'd be in the library with the textbook, going through the textbook, learning the material, going through the the end of chapter exercises doing almost all those exercises and then uh, being confident that, hey, I understand what's going on and I can go teach these other guys how to do this. Yeah. Wow. That's quite a lot of work for um, for Form 6. And I remember you were also a runner back then. Like what, how did you balance that? You know, like what made you also want to be a runner while doing all of this extra work? Uh, yeah, so uh, this was, remember those fallouts that I was talking about? Well, one of the one of the people I fell out with was also into running. I was like, all right, I'm going to try hard to like compete with this person. <laughs> Again, kind of like a little bit of that. Hey, I'm going to make sure that I don't feel bad about losing that relationship or something because I'm, I'm able to kind of do stuff to make up for the, for the lack of that relationship anymore. Uh, so I, 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 I just generally kind of always, I thought, when I was younger, I had this idea of kind of like a quote unquote balanced person. And I thought a balanced person would be into fitness as well. Uh, you know, so I ended up kind of diving into the running thing as in, in response to that, those, those follow-ups that I mentioned. Um, but eventually over time, I actually kind of got into weightlifting uh, after that. And so I remember the we would have like this this class session for applied mathematics we'd have it i think at like 6 p.m or something and so after school school would end at 2 30 i think and then i would go home go to the gym come back shower and then come, go back to class at six uh and so there's always been kind of like this idea with regards to, to fitness and running like hey can i be a quote-unquote balanced person somehow i thought that that was important i thought that having some exercise in the physical outlet was was useful and important yeah actually let's we can let's talk about that a bit more um because i i think in especially like the environment we grew up in there's a lot of um i think a lot of emphasis in becoming an all-rounded individual you know there's there's a lot of that and my attitude towards that has changed a lot and um i don't know it might be it might be counter <laughs> to what some people think is good and i'm just curious what <laughs> what are your current because you said yours you you were in that environment where you, everyone is pushing you need to be all-rounded nobody like you shouldn't just be all books etc um you know and uh i don't know you said that has changed at least you seem to imply that your views on that has changed and i'm just curious what does it change to and what made it change? What experiences made uh, it change? 
so I I still think that that like being balanced is important. Uh, but I have kind of noticed that you don't you don't get extra credit in other areas of your life for doing things that are unrelated. So I you know I work out. I I have pretty good lifts. I would say like I'm reasonably i'm typically one of the stronger people at the gym uh and you know i don't get any credit for that in any other area of my life typically i mean like i guess like socially maybe a little bit um but at work nobody cares uh there's there's definitely there's and this is a concept that economists really like to encourage people to understand which is there's opportunity costs right Every every hour that you're spending, you know, going for a run or, or working out at the gym or something, that's an hour you're spending not doing something else. And if you're in a situation where you're not able to, or rather where it's better for you to spend an additional hour getting better at your core uh, so, source of living, which, you know, could be your job typically, or uh, depending where you're at school or whatnot, you know, it's important to understand that sort of stuff. I still think it's good to be balanced. I think being a balanced individual has helped me have a more uh, fulfilling life rather than just, you know, hey, I'll, I'll just do it all, all work stuff all the time. But again, that opportunity cost does tend to hit sometimes. For instance, I I would like to have, you know, I have like some side projects that I like to do. I like to write more and that sort of thing. But if I, I only have so much, so much time and so much energy. Uh, so if I wanted to write more, I'd probably have to do less of something else. Right. Uh, and, I think so I think that it's it's good to understand that there's value in having balance but it's also important to understand opportunity cost and hey is the thing that you're currently doing really the thing that you value very highly and it's important that you make those decisions carefully So do you think we should um still be telling high school students you, you know like would you change the advice that's sort of being pushed on them to become all-rounded students? Or would you tell them to think about it a bit better? And what way are you becoming all-rounded? Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, all-rounded. So this is, I think that this is uh, something that could do with a bit of a stronger definition in the sense that it's not, I don't think it's useful to do a little bit of everything. And you're just kind of like, Hey, I've done a little bit of that. I've done a little bit of that, but I'm not really invested in any one of these two things. But I think it's much better to say, "Hey, I find out what you care about." Hey, I re- so some people really care about social activism. Some people really care about um, making content. That's another thing. Maybe some, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but but yeah, but find like find like a few things that you really care about and invest time in those things. So don't necessarily think like, "Oh, you know, well." I don't do any any competitive sports. I need to go do a competitive sport if you don't care about it. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot of value in having other interests, and, and sometimes they can actually enrich your main um, your main uh, activity, whether that be school or your job or whatnot. Yeah, definitely. It actually reminds me, and we can use this to transition that um, like uh, get one talking about MIT admissions that uh, they always, they say they look for people with passion, you know. Passion is sort of like a buzzword at MIT and especially talking about who gets into MIT and stuff. So I I wanted to use this to, first of all, let's 
step back a little bit and say you won the president's medal and then you had this suddenly the whole world is open to you you can go anywhere and you decided to go to the US so so i guess there are two parts in there like every almost everyone before you i think i believe went to the uk at least even after you many people from our school in in the in trinidad and tobago it's sort of they go to the uk and you decided to go to um the us which meant uh doing a whole bunch of different things and i remember that you wanted to go to mit is that correct yeah that's correct yeah. i was very interested in going to mit yeah and i just remember that because um I remember the same people who were helping me in my applications or you know be, sort of because you went to Caltech instead and I discovered what Caltech was because it isn't um I feel like it's not as popularized as MIT and I thought Caltech was much more exciting than MIT and I really wanted to go to Caltech but I didn't get in so and I went to MIT instead um but it was I was sort of I feel like we had the opposite admissions process but yeah so let's get into why you decided to go to the US and sort of like why you picked Caltech in the end and how was that whole process like for you yeah yeah uh yeah so yeah i guess like you you're absolutely right a lot of people from Trinidad typically tend to go to um to the UK and Caltech in particular is not very well known, especially in Trinidad. Uh, I remember a lot of times when I tell people I was going to Caltech, they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, no, just like as a, as a kind of perfunctory, yeah, acknowledgement, but they don't really care. Uh, anyways, so yeah, Caltech. So I, I applied, I did two rounds of admissions. Um, I got, I applied to MIT in both rounds and I got rejected twice. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> the... So I ended up, I actually did not do that well in regards to U.S. applications in general. So I, I you know, of course, uh, at that point in time, I I just looked at the top 10 schools on the rankings. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll apply here. <laughs> uh, not, you know, because like that's, that, that's where I wanted to go, right? You want to go to like some fancy place that, that has a high, high rank. Um, so I, I applied to like Princeton and I think maybe Cornell and some other places. And actually, in in the first round, I didn't even apply to Caltech. Uh, I didn't I didn't know Caltech existed. And towards the end of the application cycle, that first round, a friend of mine told me about Caltech, and she said, "Hey, Brad, you should apply here. You have the SAT score to get in." She doesn't, and so she wants me to apply. It's kind of like a. a an extension of herself, like, oh, hey, I, I, you know, she's thinking, hey, I, she's thinking that she can't get in because she doesn't have the right ST score, but I can. And so say, hey, why don't you apply here? You know, it'd be nice for you. And so this was towards the end of the application cycle. So I, I was like, hey, I have to write like oh, a couple more essays and stuff. And I don't even really know this school. I'll just, yeah, whatever. I'll just pass. I just, I want to go to MIT. That's where I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, of course, the, the first year, so the first application cycle passes and I don't get in anywhere. Um, I had, I think I had an admit, I didn't apply to Canada, so I had an admission offer at the University of Waterloo, which was, which was a great school. Uh, you know, lots of people were Silicon Valley recruit there, which is, which is really cool. But I was like, hey, you know, let me, um, let me give this another shot. Maybe let me see. I kind of, I really want to go to MIT. I really want to go to MIT. Maybe when I get, because the, uh, the award of the President's Gold Medal is delayed by a year. 
Uh, and so I was like, hey, all right, so this next application cycle, I'll have this. Well, actually, I thought it would be an open scholarship, but I'll have an award. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that'll be the thing that will make me much more competitive to get into MIT. So let me let me give it another shot. So I gave it a shot, didn't get it. But uh, I also, this time, I, I actually had time now for the full application cycle to look at Caltech after getting my friend's recommendation and thinking, okay, yeah, let me see what the school's about. Oh, hey, they're, they're like pretty highly ranked. Oh, they're pretty small. They have like a cool culture. Uh, they have like this, this applied mathematics major, applied computational mathematics major that seems interesting. Yeah, you know, let me uh, let me give this a shot. Let me give this a shot. So I so I, I did the the essay, the application and stuff, um, and also again, like I think I applied to Princeton and MIT again, and didn't get into MIT, didn't get into Princeton. Got off from Caltech. I was like, oh wow, oh that's cool, great. Uh, and I also this time applied to the UK schools after you know having gotten in nowhere in the US the previous year. I was like, all right, maybe I should apply to the UK as well. So I, I think I'd gotten an offer from Imperial in London um, and was was considering that too. And so I was basically caught between these three schools, Waterloo, Caltech, and um, the UK. And so what it kind of came down to was I, kinda, I was really I was really interested in, in the small school feel of Caltech because, you, know, you know, as you know, the secondary schools in Trinidad are not huge. They're, you know, you're, you're graduating classes, like maybe 200 people, if so much, maybe like less than that. And so Caltech's classes, Caltech was a school was much smaller. And I thought, hey, you know, that might be uh, a good fit for me coming from a smaller place. It would be easier to kind of get adjusted. And there were a lot of cool people. Um, no, no, sorry, not cool people. There was a lot of cool culture around it, like the honor code and, and all these sorts of things. I was like, wow, this... This seems like a really cool place to go to, and and they have like a cool major. And I, I remember I, I plotted out the courses I would take over the four years to kind of like get myself excited about. Hey, am I excited to go there? And I was like, yeah, this seems like a really cool place. And so that's how I ended up deciding to to go to Caltech. I again lucky. Yeah. Somebody I didn't even know. Well, no, so, somebody I knew, a school that I didn't even know about that a friend just happened to recommend to me. Uh, was the place I ended up going to school, and so yeah, there's again like otherwise I would have probably I think I would have probably taken the um, the actually I don't know yeah I might I could have I would have probably flipped the coin or something to go to Waterloo or or Imperial both of them great schools so yeah but that that's it that's how I ended up there just happened to get a recommendation from a friend happened to apply twice second time to Caltech and yeah that was it wow I I guess one one good one nice uh, insight from that is that you got rejected from all of those places, but you didn't give up. You tried again, you know. Um, I think so often people might give up on the first time, say they're not good enough, but like it shows that it doesn't always come (laughs) the first time. Yeah, um, I I was actually, from that experience, I kind of have a general rule, which is I'll try twice and then I'll quit. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I think that's it. So, uh, I mean, we we might talk about this later, but I applied to econ PhD programs twice. Yeah. Didn't get in both times. I was like, all right, that was enough. I gave it a good shot. I'm done. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, Okay, still still on Caltech, though. Let's uh, dig into why you decided to do computational and applied mathematics. Because, again... um, if I understand, at least based on my experience also, uh, we're always told to become doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't know anyone who did mathematics. I mean, apart from you, but um, what 
yeah, what made you decide you wanted to do this? Were you thinking, did you have like a a 10-year plan at that point? Like, I'll do this and in um, 10 years I'll be a mathematician somewhere or... Um, yeah, like what what made you decide to do this given that you had no, what I think is sort of no role models to look at and be like, I want to be like this person. Is that true? Did you have anyone to sort of follow in their footsteps? Uh, no, I, I was definitely winging it. There was no, uh, there was no pathway or, or model that I was kind of looking at. Uh, I mean, my 10 year plan was I want to be rich and comfortable. <laughs> that was my 10 year plan. So as you, uh, based on that, you could probably guess, I didn't really have any specific idea of what I was going to do. I, I just had like this general idea of, Hey, I will go to fancy school, work hard, get a job that will pay a lot of money. And somehow I'll just make a lot of money and I'll be rich and happy. I'll have like a, a nice, uh, attractive wife or whatever and, and these sorts of things. And oh, my life will just be great. I'll be, I'll be, once I hit 25-ish, my life, I'll just be coasting. Uh, that is not what happened, but that's <laughs> kind of like what my tenure plan was. Um, so yeah, I get the, the reason I ended up taking the Applied Competition Mathematics course was I really liked applied math when I was doing it during uh during secondary school. I was like, wow, this stuff's really cool. I I really enjoyed it. I had no idea this existed, and I was like, wow, probability that that's such an interesting idea, a really nice way to think about the world. And the applied computational mathematics program was the the major that had the had uh, options in that particular area. So I was like, all right, that's that's what I'm gonna go do. So not not too much thought went into it. It was mostly just, hey, I I really like this. Um, it's not, it's something that I assume is generally speaking valuable. You know, mathematics is typically well regarded, and so decided to do it. Not much thought went into it. Like I said, just you know, didn't. I, I I think this is like a general theme that you might see emerging here, which is I don't really think too hard about stuff. I just think about, hey, what do I want to do? All right, great. Yeah. So. As we were talking about the picking to do um, computational and applied mathematics, I guess, were you ever faced with the question, what are you going to do with that? And what was your response? Because I, I, speaking from like personal experience, when I decided to do physics, the question from everyone was, what are you going to do with that? And I didn't really have an answer. <laughs> I'm curious if you had an answer back then. Uh, it would probably be make money, uh, <laughs> but, but no, no uh, and there I didn't. Nobody ever really asked me that question, honestly. Um, I guess you know, like applied math is one of those things that people just kind of assume, or maybe maybe nobody was just that interested in me. Brad, you just have better friends, you know. People are just better, more interested in you. Uh, yeah, nobody nobody asked me what I wanted to do, uh, what, or like what I want to do with that in particular. But I, I also did like a. Um, a second major in the business economics and management course and so we were able so i i that combination uh acm applied competition mathematics and business economics and management so acm bem was typically was was uh often said it's the the money maker combination <laughs> so i i never really thought too hard i was just like okay somehow this is all gonna work out uh it'll be fine um yeah that that is the short and somewhat unsatisfying answer to that question <laughs> um okay so let's talk about more of your time in caltech so when you entered tell me um how 
did you feel in terms of your level compared to the rest of students there? Mm, yeah, one thing I did, I did kind of have a sense of is like everybody was definitely smart. Everybody was like intellectually gifted. Uh, a lot of times I would, I would hear, I would talk to people. I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, my mom's a lawyer. My mom's like a doctor, professor, engineer. My mom has a PhD. Uh, that was definitely something that was different for me because you know, like, you know my my parents one finished uh, one never went to high school just primary education and one had like some level of uh, mild tertiary education so coming from that environment and then running into all these people who have like all these fancy pedigrees and uh, they're you know coming from really accomplished parents that was that was like a not, not not so much like a shocker but it was definitely something I I noticed that's being different. In regards to my relationship to everybody else, I, I definitely, I would say, like, I, was, I wasn't intimidated by anybody in particular. Uh, I didn't feel like I was, I didn't have imposter syndrome. Uh, I think a lot of people talk about that. I didn't really experience that. I was just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm going to try hard. That's my best. Uh, but I, I definitely wasn't the smartest kid anymore. I was uh, kind of like middle of the pack. Um, I think part of that actually was due to the difference in the education and prep that I would have had coming from Trinidad relative to everybody else. So I remember there was, there were people who would take hard courses like real analysis, which is, you know, legendarily just like a difficult thing for everybody ever to recognize that, Hey, if you do well in real analysis, you, you've got some level of you know, intellectual chops. Uh, I, I remember talking to people who just said, Oh yeah, this was easy. Cause I took it back in high school. Uh, and now, now I already saw this material. So I'm, I'm good. This is very easy. And that was something that I thought was kind of a little bit, not not necessarily unfair, but unfair, but something that really made a difference in the outcomes of of how people would interact with coursework, right? Like if you've seen these really complicated things in a low stakes environment, and was yeah, and we're able to understand them and learn them, and now you're seeing them in like a quote unquote high stakes environment where you know your GPA matters and you need to do well to get a job. Uh, having that advantage is it makes a big difference um and so the other aspect so that was one aspect the other aspect of it was i didn't really have a good understanding of the of how to how to learn and how to think and reason that uh, the education trinidad was very much like hey memorize this this is this is this is how you solve this question you do step one step two step three you're done uh, whereas here it was more like, here, here's a, here's a kind of abstract concept of something, how go take this abstract concept and apply it to some, some problem. Uh, and so that, that, that sort of thinking was new. It was different. It was like, Hey, how, how do I re like, what is the, I remember taking reanalysis to be like, there's different kinds of infinity. How do I even think about this when infinity, like infinity open sets? Closed sets? What is the boundary? What, what do you mean? Like, uh, I, I was so, I remember taking that class and being so lost. Uh, and so I actually ended up dropping it the first time I took it because I was like, what's going on here? I have no idea. Uh, but eventually I was able to kind of get an understanding of kind of like the underlying intuition for what you're going to think about. So for instance, whenever you, the idea of a cost function is something that shows up in mathematics all the time. And just like having the understanding of what a cost function really is and how that interacts with everything else that you're learning, that makes a big difference in being able to understand the material. Cause now you have like a bigger, you have a better set or I had a better sense of, 
here's the general infrastructure of how mathematics operates. And what I'm learning in this course are the various, are, are how this particular topic fits into that infrastructure. And so come in, when I eventually kind of got to that point, I, I stuff made a lot more sense. I was able to do a lot better. And so my, you know, my grades and stuff kind of improved steadily over the course of my time at Caltech and um, got better and better. It's so like now I would say, um, I, I would, I would say I'm com comfortable saying I, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm definitely like now, not necessarily the upper side of the, of the people at the Caltech, but I feel a lot more comfortable saying, Hey, I'm, I'm not, uh, or rather I feel comfortable, you know, comparing myself to people who did really well at Caltech. Um, I think, I think that is, uh, not, not, not to say like I'm, I'm some hot stuff or anything, but like I had, now that I've kind of, I saw people doing really well at the time. I was like, wow, these people are so much smarter than me. Like, why, why, what am I not getting? And when I started, when I had the realizations about kind of like one, the, uh, the advanced prep that they would have had in high school versus mine, as well as maybe that prep helping them understand these intuitive things that you don't really, that they don't, they don't teach you this explicitly. They don't say, oh, hey, here's the infrastructure of mathematics. These are things you have to intuit over your, over the, over a number of courses. I'd be like, oh, hey, here's, here's the general sense of how this operates. Uh, so now that I've had a, had a better understanding of those things, I think if I could go back and tell myself, like, hey, here's the infrastructure, here's the intuition for these things, I would probably have done much better. Not to say I did poorly or anything. Um, you know, I, I didn't fail or anything. I, I got, I graduated, quote unquote, with honors, uh, which is just like if you have a 3.5 GPA or higher. So it's not like I did really poorly or anything. And that was, a, I think, like top 50% of the course of the class would have been around honors. So did okay. Yeah, so much of what you said resonated with me, um, also with my experiences of taking real analysis, <laughs> um, being in a, a classroom where you're the only one who didn't represent your country country in the math Olympiad, you know, <laughs> or where so many of them had gold, silver, and bronze medals also. Um, so it's like the sort of students who do those things really come in with um, big differences, which which I think really become magnified when you st when you try to do a mathematics route. You know, I, I think maybe there are less, um, these differences are, maybe it's because I haven't done, done gone down this route, but um, I don't know if they would have been, been so manifest in other courses. Pro probably others would say, yes, it's just my inability to, ha having not done it, I can't identify where. But um, also, you're you're speaking a lot about um the differences with what we learned and the style of learning and memorization and general concepts one of my experiences with the US system was sort of the quick here is a concept do the homework it's due next week you do this like three times and then there's a midterm or a quiz and then again repeat repeat midterm and then uh, you have like a couple days and then you have a final and it's sort of like very different from what I would say like the system we succeeded in, in that um, we were sort of given a lot of time to sit and like marinate <laughs> with content and really become masters of it inside out. Whereas, I don't know, in, in this new system, in the US system, I feel like it was very quick, very quick. Like, what do you... What are your thoughts on that? Did you have a similar challenge, like switching 
how you learn, how you think, how you solve problems. Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent with that. Uh, I just as a for you know for the audience, my approach to things like homework and so on, especially towards the end of my time in Trinidad in secondary school, there was when the, the teacher would ask, "Hey, did you do the homework?" I'd be like, "No, I didn't do it, but I can do it for you right now." if you want me to on the board. <laughs> so the idea that homework, for instance, was actually, it mattered for your grade and that sort of stuff was, I was like, what? I have to do this? Uh, it's not just like for my learning, it actually matters for this grade at the end of the, the semester. That was completely different. Uh, the Yeah, midterms and these sorts of things, you know, I, I, you know this, Brad, which is, the, we were modeled based on the English system where everything is, hey, the end result of your or the only thing that is measured really at the end of for your time in the in that year in the education system is what, how you did at the end of year exams. That is really kind of the ultimate thing that matters. That's the be it and end all, which was a very big shift from the, into the U.S. system where everything mattered. If homework mattered. The midterm mattered, the final mattered, everything was like, yeah. Class attendance matters sometimes. Attendance sometimes mattered, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Attendance sometimes mattered. Uh, I, that, was, that was actually, yeah, I, I, I neglected to mention that as a, as a challenge, but you're absolutely right. When I switched over, that was also a big issue because, yeah, like you said, like you have to, you get exp- exposed to this kind of complicated concept, uh, especially, you know, in some of these more abstract courses. And you have to turn around and do something with it next week. And that's on, you're not just doing that like one course, you're doing like maybe four or five courses and this is happening to you for all of them. Uh, and so that, that was like a big, a big challenge as well. Uh, again, I eventually kind of got used to that. Uh, again, like, I think that's part of why I started to improve over time because I, uh, that just getting used to that idea. And definitely now, like I'm still taking courses in you know statistics and so on. And I'm, I would say like I, I'm I'm breezing through those courses. Like I'm just it's a walk in the park compared to before. Like I'm so used to that idea of hey, this homework is is, is important. Uh simple and even simple things like understanding how to make use of something like office hours. I never went to any office hour ever during undergrad. And then when I uh, when I started some of these master's programs, uh, I was like I, I would go to the office hours and they would basically just tell you the answer. I was like what? How did, the, how did nobody tell me about this before? I would have just gone to this office hours all the time. Uh, and so I that kind of also changed my perspective on people who had really good grades. Because uh, for a lot of these courses at Caltech, especially, they would have a lot of waiting on the homeworks. I think in part to like really encourage collaboration and stuff. And so people just show up, you know, basically like they're showing up to the office hours, getting the answer, and they're walking into that final exam with 50% already done. <laughs> like on their grade because I uh, like the no, 50 out of 50 percent that they could get for homework already like earned because they just went to office hours and I had no idea about that and so this was only the end again this is something that nobody nobody could tell you there's no international student orientation that's going to be like oh by the way guys uh I know you guys come from like a different early system here's what you should know office hours are very important yeah uh, you got to be faster at learning concepts because of this and so on. that that's not something that happened and so just just again figuring out that infrastructure that this is a way that you approach these pro- this uh these courses was a big game changer uh is that kind of similar to how you had an experience here or was it different for you no that's <laughs> identical in that i didn't go to office hours i think until my third year and it was, I was like, why was I not going to office hours? Because I always believe that off, you go to office hours sort of like, if you can't do it, or like, I don't know, like you're stupid. 
And I'm like, no, I under, I very under, well understand what's going on in lecture. And if I don't, I'm like, I can just read the textbook and it's very easy for me to read a textbook, sit with it and understand it. And I'm like, I can definitely solve these problems with enough time. But sometimes, time. Yes. yeah, time. Like, you know, like, I think probably you would agree. It's like, you have the confidence and you can crack something with enough time. But that's the problem. We don't have enough time. <laughs> so sort of going to office hours and just talking to the professor or the um, grad student AI, because I give office hours now, <laughs> and just sometimes listening to other people's questions, like how do you approach this problem? And you sort of get a framework of like, this is the general method you need for this problem. And then it's so easy for you to just go home and be like, oh yeah, like I need to draw this diagram, consider this, I don't know, symmetry or use this integral, use this trick, you know, and it just shortens everything down so so quickly. Sometimes you, you actually like, I don't know, I have the experience that I don't know how I would have solved this if I hadn't gone to office hours because <laughs> some of these are tricks and it's like, I don't know, you unless you're a genius <laughs> and you know this trick before... Um, I have no idea how a regular student is going to solve it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah, I mean, for for us, uh, office hours typically like you could schedule office hours with the prof, but more often there would be a, a, a scheduled office hour with the TA, and the TA, like you said, would just basically be like, "Oh, hey, here's here's what you need to know. Did the homework." And this was another thing that I didn't realize at the time, which was I used to I would not look at a problem set until the night before it was due. And so I wouldn't like I wouldn't even know what to think about or what to do because I, I I remember if I need to go to office hours you need to look at the the problem set so you understand hey what are we even going to talk about and I uh, I remember like I never all for the first year our math homework was always due on Monday so I never slept on a Sunday because <laughs> I would start looking at that homework on Sunday evening and then be like oh well I got to figure this out for tomorrow morning. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, I was, I was spending time night doing it. Uh, fortunately, there were a lot of people like that, so I, I was able to kind of like find somebody else to work with. But yeah, if, if I could just do it over again, I would just do it so differently, man. Uh, again, I think I think there was a little bit of that hubris from from like being smart in Trinidad and being like, hey, well, you know, these and it never hurt you because as long as you could get all your stuff together by the end of the year, you're good to go. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, again, that would be something I would emphasize, kind of understanding the different system and, and how you have to approach it. Yeah. I also thought, like you, that I had to be prepared at office hours. I had to look at the problems, think about them, have a good question, not just show up and be a potato. But a lot of people do that. They have they show up and open the problem set in office hours and start reading it. And even me as a... As a um, like holding office hours, I see students do that. And I'm like, I totally get it. You know, it's okay. You don't need to feel embarrassed. Like you can sit and just listen or you can ask me questions and it's okay. You know, you just have to create that space where they want to come and and feel okay to ask you questions or just be like, hey, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on from Caltech now. So... Okay, so when you graduated, you probably had many options available with a degree. Uh, not that many, not that many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, maybe tell us about actually, what yeah, are some of I the could, options. Actually, yeah, maybe I could fill you in a little bit. Uh, so here's, here's something that is very important that nobody explained to me that I would like to explain to people who, for whom I, I would have, uh, who, for whom maybe may a similar situation. 
the most important element of getting a job after school is is having internships that is that is that is basically the reason why you don't have school during the summer so you can go get internships or, or work experience i did not know this and so i never had an internship graduating from undergrad uh, the first summer, I, I just, uh, I went to Harvard for their summer school thing. So I took a couple of courses there. That was, uh, it was fun. It was good to get to see, uh, I took a strategy and a marketing course. It was good to get to see some other stuff outside of uh, math. Second semester, second summer, I went, uh, I did a, a research fellowship at Caltech. So I was there. The third summer, I, which is actually, I mean, the third summer, the summer before your senior year, the absolute most critical summer of all three. I just went traveling. I just went to Indonesia for a month and traveled around. I had no idea. I was like, yeah, I just want to do this. I had no idea that how important these internships were. And so actually coming out at the end of coming out to the end of undergrad undergrad, I didn't I didn't really do that. I I didn't have a lot of options. I didn't um if I had if I had submitted applications, they would have just gone nowhere because I had no work experience and that's what that's what companies want to see before you uh before they before you graduate. And so I, uh, fortunately for me, I had kind of known that I wanted to do a master's program anyway, so I didn't spend too much time um, applying. I did apply a couple of places and didn't, you know, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, I, in fact, I actually interviewed at, at, a, at a company and the, the guy who brought me, I met the guy who got me the interview in a course. He was a guest lecturer and we, we really hit off. He was, he was really cool. And so he was able to get me an interview and at the end of the interview, he said, yeah, the team just thinks you don't have enough experience because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do anything. And so even though I had this guy who literally was like, you know, wanted me to potentially come work with their company, you know, you can't, the team ultimately has to decide. And they said, hey, I, I had no experience. So that, that, that made that eventually later on when I would get to understand economics and labor markets a lot more, I would, I would look back on that and be like, wow, yeah, obviously nobody wanted to hire you because you had no, no work experience. That was so critical. Uh, but like I said, I kind of knew I wanted to do a master's degree because I, I'd gotten by the third, fourth year of undergrad, I'd gotten actually a lot more interested in, in math. And um, I was starting to think about all those concepts and having actually gotten better at understanding stuff and understanding that infrastructure around math and being less, less kind of uh, struggling in the middle of the ocean, as it were, I was able to really appreciate the math and really appreciate how cool some of these things were. And so I wanted to get more exposure in, in a, especially in like applied, um, like operations research kind of, thinking about algorithms and thinking about uh, statistics and, and probability. And so I, I had applied for a few of those operations programs. I ended up getting an admit at Columbia and a couple other places, but I was mostly excited about Columbia. And I had also applied just one off for this MBA program at Yale because I saw like, oh, hey, they, they have this MBA program that accepts people for undergrad. And I was thinking about law school at the time. And I was like, oh, you know, it'd be cool to do law school in an MBA program. And uh, Yale has like number one law school. I should apply to Yale. I ended up not deciding. Ended up deciding not to do law school, but ended up applying to the the MBA program anyway. And yeah, got was fortunate enough to get an offer. And my one of my advisors told me, "Hey, Brad, you know, if you go to the master's program at Columbia, yeah, you know, it'll be good. You'll you learn more technical stuff. But if you're really interested in kind of understanding other people's perspective on seeing another side of the world." the MBA program might be a better fit. And so I was like, oh yeah, that sounds really interesting. I, I definitely kind of want to see more outside of the technical realm. I, I, I 
become a little bit more interested in understanding how how the world works outside of just you know statistics and mathematics and so I decided to do that uh, that was how I ended up there so I didn't have that many options coming out of undergrad but I had options that I was excited about uh, and that was something I was happy to go do. Do you think it uh, it it lived up to the expectation of what your you advised, you know, like to to see the different perspectives. Um, yeah, did it live up to it? How, how was the experience switching from something super technical to, I would say, is less a less technical area, and interacting yeah, uh, with those people. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I I say I would I would agree that it definitely lived up to that expectation, uh, for better or for worse, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> uh, because uh, after. After kind of leaving and and, come, and, and uh, towards the end of the MBA program, I, I realized that I really should be on the technical side of stuff. So it was it was a good experience. Uh, I definitely built out a lot more soft skills. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, I used to be not very easy to interact with. And I think I've definitely gotten better at that. Being in the MBA program was a big part of that because all those project, all all of the MBA program is a, is basically a group project. It's just like a really really big group project. Every class, almost every class that you take will be especially in the first year will be largely group oriented and so you have to get good at talking to people you have to get good at working with people you have to get good at um communicating and and that was stuff that i wanted to do that was part of something i wanted to improve on so i was able to get much better at interacting with people who had different viewpoints and and in fact i i I was able to understand that my viewpoint is not the only viewpoint in the world which was something that you know when you're uh, when you've grown up kind of sheltered, it's something that isn't always easy to understand. Uh, especially again when you have like a little bit of that hubris and, and you know you think you're the shit, and whatever. Uh, you know you don't you don't really think a lot about other people. So this that was a very good growing opportunity. Uh, it was not a very good career decision <laughs> because <laughs> during that year, so as part of the MBA program, there they for people who enter right after undergrad, since they don't have work experience. They usually have you do the first year of the program. Then you would leave for a year or two, work full time, and then come back for the second year. And so on my off year, I decided, hey, you know what I'll do? I have like the startup idea. Let me go build it. Uh, and so I was able to you know, put something on the app store, start start from nothing, do the design work, do the engineering, put it on the app store, and then come back for the second year with a social network platform designed to handle small to medium-sized events. And so I was like, okay, I'll come back for a second year and try to like seed this into the MBA population as an event app. And uh, that, that unfortunately didn't work. It turns out the MBA program is already very good at coordinating people. So they didn't really need another source of coordination. But uh, the where I'm going with this is that I ended up, so I ended up not working. So I, I thought, oh, I'm graduating from the MBA program. I still have no work experience. <laughs> And so and now you, if, they, if people wanted work experience for your first job after undergrad, you better bet they really want years of work experience coming out of the MBA program. So I had a really, really hard time finding a job. It was, it was basically impossible. I couldn't, I, I don't, I, I couldn't do it. It wouldn't have worked. But fortunately, during the MBA program, I had also got more exposure to econ. And I was like, wow, I had never taken any econ classes before. This is actually really cool, really interesting, especially because in the MBA program, it was in an applied context. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, here's a utility function. It was more like, oh, hey, here's a market. How do products work in a market? What do you think about strategy? How do you think about competition? So it was a really cool applied setting for economics. And I got exposed to research from the props who were there and other people in economics. And I thought, wow, this stuff's really cool. I 
I want to look into economics more. And I, 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 so I kind of knew, hey, if I want to do this, maybe I should get like a research position or something like that in econ to, to, to look into this. And so I asked one of my profs if I could, if she had an opening or she knew anybody. And she said, hey, yeah, I, I'm hiring for a research assistant. Why don't, you, why don't you submit a code sample and we'll see how it looks and then we'll go from there. So go ahead, submit that code sample. She said, code sample. She says, yeah, hey, looks good. Come work for me in September. I say, okay, great. So I start working for her in, in September. Uh, I I tried to find a job for several months and didn't find anything, and then this kind of fell into my lap. Again, very lucky, uh, and really liked it. Actually enjoyed the day to day work of you know dealing with data, coding in R, that sort of stuff, and then. The bigger idea of investigating economics was really cool as well. So I was aligned both in the minutia of what I was doing and in the kind of bigger scale of what I was doing. And so I was like, hey, this stuff's really cool. I like this. Let me let me try to continue along this path. Let me try to hit that econ PhD thing. And so I, I did apply for econ PhDs um, after having work uh, after starting work there. And unfortunately, didn't get anywhere, but uh, was able to get some feedback about the application and the main feedback was, hey, go get some more research experience and then try again. So I was like, all right, great. I'm willing to give it a second shot. Let's go. So the so I was able to, I only had one year with her. It was just to finish up that project that she had started with a previous RA. So moved on to HBS, was able to get a position there. And you know, continued working on econ research, this time in innovation instead of competition. And uh, started working in Python this time. Uh, fortunately, the prof there was able to, was willing to let me kind of do stuff in Python. Typically, they use Stata, which is kind of the uh, tip, the standard software package. But Python is not uh, something that typically is used. But he was able to let me do it. So I, I was able to build out more skills in Python and data science and that sort of stuff in the process. So spent a couple of years there. Uh, applied again after, during my second year at HBS. Unfortunately, it did not get in again. Uh, that was not not pleasant, but you know, at least hey, I was like, hey, I gave it a good shot. I, I did the thing I, that they told me to do. It didn't work out. Fine, it's okay. Um, and so, but now I'm like, hey, I, I've given it a shot. It's time to leave academia. I need to find a job. Uh, and so I started looking around. Unfortunately, and again, I, I unfortunately I found that people didn't really consider academic research as job experience. They were like. Uh, you don't have any experience. I remember, in fact, I actually had an interview with um, with a company who for a data science position, and they they would give me an offer, and it was a bit lower than I would have been comfortable for the city that it was in. It was, I, I would have felt very financially anxious had I moved to that city at, at that salary. And so I was like, hey, you guys said two years of experience. I have two years of experience. I have like three years of experience. Why, why are you guys uh, kind of giving me an offer at like this much lower end? And they say, well, you don't actually have any experience. I was like, oh, huh, I guess, you know, what I was doing for like, they, they said work experience, right? And, and at the time, in my mind, I was like, isn't work where somebody pays you to do something and you do it? And I was like, so what have I been doing for the last three years if not, if not work? But so I, that was a little bit of a disconnect. I realized that the industry market really, a lot of the industry market does not consider academic research experience as quote unquote actual work experience. So that was interesting. And it kind of really opened up my eyes that, hey, I'm going to have trouble again trying to find a job. Because even though I've been working for the last three years doing data analysis and doing data work, people don't really view that as like quote unquote work. So anyway, was able to finally find a job and transitioned out into uh, my current role, which is a, a private equity firm as a data analyst. 
Uh, at private equity, for a long time, I didn't really understand what private equity was. In the MBA program, yeah. people talked about it a lot. Can you explain and, what private equity is? <laughs> yeah, uh, and, uh, it's like this hot, this hot buzzword, and I, I didn't know what it was. So very simply, it is just companies that raise money from uh, private capital. So basically, there are a lot of rich people in the world, and they raise money from those rich people. So it's quote unquote private, and they invest that money. That's basically it. Uh, it's not it's it's not as complicated as it might seem. It it's basically just hey we we raised we raised money from private investors, and they have an equity stake in that in, in the, the the investments that we're making. So that that's private equity. Yeah, not not again. Very simple. So anyways, yeah. So uh, so I started here and uh, I've been here since I've been you know I've been doing data analysis work in our in our investment area, which is real estate, and yeah, been enjoying it. Um, since since joining, so yeah, I guess so. Now you're a data scientist. Um, well, data analyst. But, data yeah. analyst. Data. And um, what, given like all of the things you've learned along the way, what are the um, like what do you think you needed to do all those things? Are, basically, like, are they helping you in your job? Like, what are the things that are helping you in your job based on the things that you learned, and what are the things that you haven't uh, been able to use, uh, you know, like throughout your trajectory there, you know, like it, could there have been a more efficient path there in terms of what they want you to do in terms of the skills you've acquired and the day-to-day things that you need to do? So in, in terms of the, uh, the day-to-day stuff, like the, the actual work itself, I probably could have started doing like the technicals of this job very soon after undergrad. Like it's, it's well, actually I, I take that back. I needed to learn Python first. So I didn't know a lot of Python coming out of undergrad. So I, I think, yeah, spending the two years at HBS working in Python was very helpful. Um, Wait, so HBS is, is Harvard business school for. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Harvard so... business school. Yeah. Uh, okay. Those two years where I was working in Python at HBS, that was very, very helpful. Um, but other than that, nothing else was particularly important uh, for the for the actual skill set of the job. Now, the other things, though, is that this job, in particular, our firm, which is a little bit of a smaller and you know newer firm, it's only about 10 years old now, one of the things that has been very important is being able to communicate with people and understand other people's perspective. And that is something that came out of my time in the MBA program, right? Like that's something that I worked on in the MBA program, trying to get better at communication, working with other people and that sort of stuff. And that, I think, I think if I had started after undergrad in this role, let's, let's assume I had the technical skill, I would probably have floundered a bit because I, I just didn't have that appreciation for how to work on a team and how to communicate my ideas effectively to other people. And also even just to pick up little social cues to know like, hey, this idea that I have or something that I think we should do, being able to understand when my boss is just like clearly not interested and being able to drop it at that point in time is a very important skill because the last thing you want to do is to think, oh, I have the I have the best idea and you talk your, your boss's ear off about it and he just starts, he just he starts to hate you. He starts to like, hey, every time, every time he talks to you, you're just, you're just annoying. Then he just won't want to talk to you. And that's not good. Because your boss is going to be the person who's going to advocate for you when it comes time to get a raise or a promotion or something like that, and understand you want to be on good terms with your boss. And so, if I like, I could say 
relatively confidently. If I had joined this this team, this firm, right after undergrad, assuming I had the technical skills, I would probably not have a good relationship with my boss, and that would have been very bad for me. Interesting. That's good to know. So tell us about what you're looking to do next. Do you have a plan? Do you now have a 10-year plan, basically? <laughs> Uh, what based on what you've your experiences and how you've learned each time how has this updated your next steps yeah and your your future goals are you are you aiming to do something yeah are you aiming to do something big i Mm. guess you did say you want to get rich (laughs) Um, (laughs) so i don't know tell us a little bit about what your plans are yeah yeah that's uh that's a good question brad uh so my previous plan was very much wrapped up in economics. So I, for, for, you know, up until mid last year, if you'd asked me what I wanted to do, I would have been like, Hey, I want to be, I want to get an econ PhD and I want to do economics research or, or something in econ. And, you know, obviously that has changed. Right. Um, so this, because I'm no longer on that path. I'm now on the industry side and, you know, the door is never like fully closed, but, at this point in time, it would take so much effort to open that door again that it would it would probably just not be worth it. So this is actually something that I've been asking myself, hey, what do I want to do? Um, these last ever since I left econ mid last year, I've been like, yeah, what is my what's my next thing? Uh, what do I want to do? Like, do I want to just stay in a company and you know work my way up the management? Do I want to be a manager? Do I want to do something else? Uh, these are, this is not a question that I know the answer to right now, but I have, I have like a little bit of an inkling. I keep coming back to this, this idea that I really want to build something, um, kind of like build a company or do something entrepreneurial or maybe just build my own brand or something. But I I really want to have an opportunity to interact, interact directly with the market. Um, and again, that could be me creating content and building my own brand and that people consume that directly, or it could be building a company and, and building a product that I think is really useful and that people would be interested in. Uh, that, that startup idea that I had, that I worked on during that off year between the first and second year of the MBA program, it's still, I still think it's a great idea. I think it is, uh, an option for something to build and, and that would be very useful. It, it's, it's meant to make it easier to hang out with people and socialize. It's meant to make it easier to just say, Hey, I want to go hang out with people. And, you know, two hours later, you're doing that ideally. So that's something that oftentimes now I still, I think, Hey, I wish I had this app. I wish I had this thing. Cause I'll be like, Hey, I, I want to go grab dinner with some people, but I, there's a lot of friction there. I got to reach out to these people. And if I have that idea for tonight, that's kind of hard to do because people probably already have plans, but there are probably people in my social network who are available, but it's hard to find them. So this app is meant to make all that sort of stuff easier. And so I think long run, I really want to build something again, like I said, either my own brand or a company. And I think largely if I get the opportunity to, I, I want to, I want to pursue this, this startup idea that I had from before. I see. So I guess there, there are two things we can talk about there. Um, one is if you can tell us a little bit more about your current, um, I would say, is it a blog that you've been working mm. on? And that's one thing. And then, well, maybe you should tell us about that first. Yeah. Yeah, happy to. So, uh, so I've, I've started, uh, I started this while I was still uh, in econ world. It's called the Renaissance Economist. You can find it on, on Medium. If you just type in renaissanceeconomist.com, it'll directly link you to it. So the, the idea behind this was, 
there's a lot of economics all around us all the time, you know, like economics in how your labor market works, how you find a job, economics in uh, how your, uh, there's economics behind like your inner, your uh, person's interaction with a dating app or something. How do these things operate when you think about the economics of the behavior? And so I started this blog with kind of like this idea of, hey, there's all this economics around us. Can I help elucidate some of that econ in a way that's easy to digest with some simple concepts to help people better think about the environments that they're in? And, and if they have a better understanding of those environments, can they then you know, make better decisions or strategize better around their own, um, their own opportunities? And so that was the idea behind the blog. It, one thing, uh, so there's, I think, like maybe 10 articles on there right now. Um, one of the ones that I really like the most is this thing called statistics is a weird concept. And the idea is that when I, when I was learning statistics for the first time, like I'd come from this engineering background. And so engineering is really all about, hey, I have something that I want to do. How do I do it? Like I want to get this ball from point A to point B. How far do I have to throw it? And at what angle do I need to throw it? But let's say the person who's at point B sees a ball fall. They need the, how can they figure out where where point A was and where and um and how far how fast the ball came or what angle it was thrown at? That is what statistics is about. How can I go from if I'm standing at point B, how can I figure out with some reasonable amount of certainty what point A was? And so there's so much more uh kind of like assumptions you have to make that you have to just trust that this is the correct thing to assume. So for instance. In, when you throw a ball, so if you want to maximize the distance that you throw it at, you throw it at 45 degrees. And so if, you're, if the person is standing at, at point B, they have to think, all right, let, let me just assume that whoever was throwing this ball wanted to maximize the distance. So I'm going to assume that they threw it at 45 degrees, uh, 45 degrees uh, at, at an angle of 45 degrees. And that could be completely incorrect. But they have to, but they, they, that's the best that they could do to at least draw some bounds on the on the problem. And so I, for a long time, I had a very engineering focused mindset and I couldn't really understand statistics. I was like, how do you, but how do you know it was 45 degrees? And that's part of the understanding of statistics, which is you don't know, you're just making assumptions that you think are reasonable that help you bound the problem because there's no way to tell for sure whether it was 45 degrees. And so this article was all about kind of exploring that idea of engineering versus statistics and taking those, those viewpoints and then Using those, using that explanation of hey, let I literally use the example of throwing a ball. Here's how the engineer would think about it. Here's how the statistician would think about it. And then now, once you explain those things, you could say, hey, here's like statistics is kind of a weird concept from that perspective because there's so much stuff you just assume. And then once you understand that, you can go and say, all right, so now when you read an econ research paper that uses that statistical model, you could understand why, hey, in this context, they found this this result, which is maybe uh, immigration doesn't hurt wages. But then in this other context of this other paper, they find, oh, immigration does hurt wages. And you're like, how do I, how, so does immigration hurt wages or not? And the understand, the thing that that's important to understand is the underlying statistical inference, which is that, hey, within certain assumptions, maybe it, if you, if you, if you believe those assumptions to be true, then it might be the case that immigration does hurt wages. But if you believe a different set of assumptions, you'll get a different result. And so just helping people understand that framework, I think, would add a lot of understanding to when they read this uh, this um, study that says, hey, immigration is good or immigration is bad. It's like, well, maybe 
it depends on the assumptions that you made into your model, you know, and so it can, it can help people kind of temper their belief in, in what the research says and kind of help you understand, hey, well, how, how do I re, how do I reckon with this, this study that says one thing versus this study that says another one? Yeah, yeah. As as you you talk about all these assumptions and stuff, it really um, uh, like resonates in the fact that when we teach physics labs, we um, actually we've been changing how we teach it, and we've been saying what 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 do we want you to learn? What are the most transferable skills? And as a physicist, we think, uh, especially in experimental physics, is how do you identify assumptions and how that's influencing your models. And so often, like, the most basic one is, like, if you throw a ball, you know, when we, we say F is equal to MA and we use project e- equations of motions and blah, 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 um, we're we're making assumptions as soon as we write F is equal to MA, you know, or, like, sorry, like, uh, MG is equal to MA, and we're just, like, leaving out air resistance, you know, and that's an assumption, and it's important to know, like, how that assumption are you going to get an overestimate or underestimate based on that assumption? And um, yeah, it's just like we we really push this idea of how do the assumptions influence your um, results because we know this is sort of the most generalizable and transferable skill. Mm, yeah, and so like so the so the idea behind the blog and what I really hope to do is to kind of build out content like that that really helps people understand or think about their environment and think about, hey, how can I how can I use some of these lessons that maybe aren't obvious things that maybe they haven't learned in school, but they it would be better, I think, if they did. And uh, and using the, the blog as like an, uh, a channel to get that information to people. I see, I see. Um, but what motivated you to want to do this? You know, because it's, I think it takes a bit more about just wishing people knew it to actually creating a website and, mm. you know, writing good content and things like that. Was there anything, like, what pushed you over that sort of activation energy to, to create a website and blog? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It's not trivial to do this sort of stuff. But, you know, even, <laughs> even if you have the thought, it still takes effort to go write it, right? Uh, so yeah. I, during undergrad, I actually wrote for the the school newspaper i had like a like a column it was called uh brad chad something i can't remember the name of it uh anyway so i i had i developed like this writing skill during undergrad and part of the reason why i decided to write was to kind of you know make myself a little bit more visible on campus so people would know who i am and that sort of thing and i eventually so after undergrad ended i, I still i still liked writing i really enjoyed it and so i was thinking about hey how can i kind of continue this um, and I remember like I, I, when I went to Yale, I was like, oh yeah, maybe I could just you know, write for the school newspaper there. It turns out the school newspaper, the Yale Daily News, I think it was called, that's, that's an undergrad only public publication. Grad students aren't typically don't write for them. So I, I wasn't able to get access to that. And I was thinking, oh, that's unfortunate. How can I, how else can I get access to this stuff? Well, you know, I could, I guess I could start writing stuff online. I could write a blog and one uh, so this this renaissance economist thing didn't actually start for a while i just started generally speaking writing on medium and write, putting my thoughts down and what i found was that it really helped me to force myself to make the logic in what i'm thinking transparent which would help me be more rigorous about how i'm thinking about stuff if i if i have like a a general generally a general intuition about something just lingering around in my head 
it's sometimes it might be wrong, but I, 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 without forcing myself to write it down in a, in a communicable way, it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to force myself to, without that, without, without forcing myself to write it down, I'm never really going to interact with that in a meaningful way that I could actually evaluate. Does this make sense? And so these two things just kind of coalesced and I was like, all right, you know, I have, I want to write the internet's there. That's great. And these, and writing forces me to think more carefully about what it is that I'm actually um, you know, thinking about. And so those two things really led me to, to decide to do this. I see. Yeah. What what you're saying kind of reminds me about teaching also. And in, in that when you teach, you become better at the material because it, it does everything you just described. It really forces you to, it sort of like stress tests your understanding and ability by, by some, if you tell someone something and they're like, Oh, but I don't understand why you said this. And then you have to stop and be like, um, how do I explain this to this person? Do I really understand it? You know? And then, or even sometimes we, I think maybe for people like you and I would understand it in terms of math and it's very easy and it's just like, yeah, it's, and you say math and they're like, what? And, you know, so we have to sort of go back down from math to English and mm. think about how to, and I think that's a tricky process, which doing something like what you're doing and also like teaching is like forces you to do. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So going, going back to the question, when I asked, what do you plan to do next and et cetera, like what, yeah, moving forward and you're talking about, you're still don't quite know you're still figuring it out can you tell us a little bit about your method of figuring it out what what do you do who do you go to do you read stuff do you talk to people yeah do you listen to podcasts (laughs) what what is that process like for you like what is your function that you're trying to optimize and how you're creating this function i think it's two two things right Mm. creating the function and then optimizing it so like tell us a little bit about your process. Mm, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Like there's two parts to that. Uh, so the, the first part is really thinking about just what the entire set of options are. Uh, and that is largely about kind of just consuming content, like reading books, reading pod, uh, listen to podcasts, uh, just getting latent information about everything that I can get my hands on. And building like a knowledge base of hey here's stuff that people have done here's this person maybe went that went moved to japan for a year or two years and then um found a job there did something and and hearing a story about that is is good so youtube as well um so that's step one just kind of build a a, a, an option set basically of, of potential things to do and the second thing then is like within that option set be like all right what's what's interesting? What, what do I care about? Um, and a lot of times that could just be thinking about, Hey, I, what I, what I want is to have more social interactions. Is that easy to do right now? Is that a problem I have right now? If yes, can I solve that problem? Uh, and then that would kind of lead me in a direction from just thinking about that sort of stuff. But yeah, but it, it's very much like first just building an option set, seeing like what other people have done and what people what like what what is conceivable, and then second is thinking about hey what yeah what's interesting, um, but not not just like hey I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a data analyst. It's bigger picture. It's like what do what kind of 
bigger impacts do I want to have? Do I want to, do I wish that people, more people knew how to think about economics? Do I wish people knew how to think about statistics, right? Like these sorts of things. And then from there, drafting a plan around that, be like, all right, is this, but again, keeping in mind opportunity costs, if I were to work on like a book, let's say everything that you should have learned in an econ class that you never did. Something like that, right? Like that's something I, I could I've actually thought about. Like, hey, would I write a book that was, you know, would be something that people could buy that would help them understand the economics of the world that they live in in ways that would be applicable just for everyday people? Um, mm-hmm. but if I do that, then I'm not doing something else. So for instance, if I did if I invested time to do that, well then I'm not investing time to build like a, a this app that I've been I've been hoping to build at some point. And so really weighing those things and understanding, hey, if if I did this, would I be ha- would I be comfortable doing this and not anything else? Because ultimately to, to make any progress on something in a big way, you have to commit to it. And making that commitment, I think is something that I like to be a little bit hesitant to make commitments with the sense that, hey, if I make this commitment, I don't want to just do this for two years and then just call it quits and do something else, I want to be like, hey, if I'm making a commitment, I'm really committing to seeing that through, as long as it's still viable as an option. Yeah. Uh, do you have any books you would recommend people read? Like, what what are the most impactful for you, basically? Mm. Uh, I really liked Algorithms to Live By, which is the Stanford... I've heard Compu- of that one. Yeah, uh, the Stanford Computer Scientists basically take the, like, some, some computer science algorithms and say, hey, Here's, here's some useful stuff that here's the here's kind of the the math or the intuition behind the, the the computer science of it and here's how you can apply it to your life uh one of the cool ones is optimal stopping so the idea being like let's say you had to interview 100 people what uh what your strategy would have to and you could only hire one like it's called a secretary problem if you had to interview 100 people to be your secretary you could only hire one the optimal strategy is to interview 37 of them make note of who the best person was and then from the from the 38th person until the 100th person just hire the first person who's better than the best person from the first 37 and that will that you won't necessarily always get the best person but you'll typically get somewhere very close to the best person if not always the best person and so that is like a cool example, right? Because they, they give the use case where, hey, if you have, if you're looking for a potential spouse or something and you only have, I don't know, one year, spend 37% of that year just, just dating people. And then identify the person you like most out of that first 37% of the year. And then for the next 63% of the year, uh, find the first, the first person who is better than the best person from the first 37% of the year. That's the person you should go with. And so like, like I think that's really cool. I think that I, I think that the idea of like a, an econ book like that, that's kind of the idea that I had. Something that you could say, yeah. hey, here's economics. Here's an economics concept, concepts and here's how you can apply them to your to your own life. So that's something I think is really cool. So that book is really good. Um, other books that I thought were really good. I don't mean, actually, let me pull up Kindle. Wait, this, this one over 30... Uh, this one over thirty-seven. This comes from one over e, right? Like the. I am not. It? I cannot remember like, the derivation. Uh, okay. Be, yeah. yeah. But it's I in think... the book. It's in the book. If you read it. Yeah, yeah. 
Irrationally yours is another one. They're typically like popular psychology books. Uh, but okay. I, I have my number one recommendation, which is Freakonomics. Read. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and sort of, I guess, second to last question related to the, that is, um, are there any sort of strategies? Or like, a, not, <laughs> like not the algorithms you live by, but like what are the strategies or principles that you th- do you think you've adopted that sort of helped you reach where you are today and like be successful or like what are the things that have worked for you you know that you yeah that you can sort of attribute to i would say your success yeah Mm. i think uh one of the things that really helps me a lot is being just thinking always asking myself the question how can i be wrong here because then anytime I have an idea, I'm like, all right, how can, how can I be wrong? And I'm trying to falsify my own thought process, which helps me, I think, kind of avoid getting too biased of like, hey, I, yeah. versus if I, if I want some outcome, it's easy to say, oh, I, I should do this to get that outcome. I just focus on the potential upside without thinking about why this might not be the right way to get that outcome. Yeah. And so, yeah, just always asking myself, like, hey, how, how, how can I be wrong here? Yeah, that that's actually really interesting because it's another thing we we focus so hard on teaching is like when you have a hypothesis, um, you should and I guess it's because you know you do statistics maybe this is why you know you set out to disprove your hypothesis and you can only the conclusion is that you fail to disprove mm-hmm. your hypothesis, and a lot of people somehow don't transfer this thinking or haven't been exposed to this thinking. So then they set out to prove the hypothesis, you know what I mean? And then that's like confirmation bias. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be thinking in that way. So it's, it's super interesting how you've done so much stats, <laughs> um, hypothesis testing. And then like, this is actually a guiding principle in your life now. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Any others? None, none come to mind right now. That, I think that is, that is the, the number one. Uh, okay. Aspect of it. I guess if the other one, if, if I really had to give something, would be opportunity costs. Think about how something you do today could be, or what you're giving up to do the thing that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, like a really, really kind of trivial example of this is if you decide to eat, if you like, let's say you're trying to maintain your body weight or something, and you decide to eat like a really big, heavy burger for lunch that, you know, it's like, 2000 calories or something and your calorie budget for the day is 2500 calories then it's important to understand hey if i eat this burger now i'll feel full and really happy but i'll only have 500 calories left for the rest of the day and so later today i might feel really not i might have to eat just like something very small and i might be left over very hungry and so is it better is it is it the right decision for me to make this to eat this 2000 calorie burger now if i'm trying to stay at 2500 calories Maybe I should eat like a 1500 calorie burger now. So that way I still have a thousand calories to eat later and I won't feel hungry later in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see. You know, I really love your algorithmic style thinking and so it, it resonates a lot with how I do things also. <laughs> um, yeah, we have more in common than just our first name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> okay, and final question. Um, what what yeah what is sort of the advice you would give like the brad 10 years ago 
you know the brand to, yeah 10 years ago uh yeah whatever however much advice you want to give what what would you or equivalently someone who sort of like let's say people who look up to you and say i want to do what brad did i mean you brad chatagoon mm. not not me no, not brad Richard, yes, <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> uh I think if so, this this is kind of a weird, a weird question for me to answer because, like, I think part of my answer would be talk to more people about things that you want to do. So, like, get get more information from people, um, do more research on things. But at the same time, I think part of why I was successful is that I didn't at least early on is that I didn't do any of that. I just kind of did whatever I was I wanted to do, and it, in some ways it didn't work out. Like you know, I again, like if I wanted to get a job after undergrad, I couldn't. If I didn't, if I didn't luck into this um, research position after the MBA program, I probably wouldn't have been able to find a job more generally. Uh, so, in a lot of ways, I'm very lucky that things have worked out. But I, I, I think that a big part of why things worked out was because I was so kind of narrow-minded and I just did whatever I wanted to do. And I just kind of, well, I was really excited about the things I wanted to do, even though you know they weren't always the best thing to do. But if I had been more, but I wouldn't advise that to somebody else. I think like I'm, I'm, this, I'm a very good example of survivorship bias. Like, oh yeah, I could go say, oh, I, I didn't know what that, anything I wanted to do. I just kind of did whatever I thought was exciting and it worked out. Yeah, but don't do that that there were so many points at which I could have ended up in a much worse position in which I could have ended up, you know, unemployed in Trinidad with nobody wanting to hire me because with, with all this education, but nobody wanted to hire me because I just didn't, I didn't have any, uh, any experience. And even coming out of, um, of the, after I did research for three years, I was still kind of in a very similar state to I, that I was in um, both after undergrad and after the MBA program, like it was hard for me to find a job. Nobody really, nobody was interested, even though I had quote unquote three years of work experience. So I would say, think, think about where, what, talk to people who have been in this similar shoes to you and under, try to understand not necessarily what their advice is and what to do, but try to get as much information about the context around where they were if you're going to be in a similar position because then it'll, it'll just help give you more information to make decisions so for instance if i had talked to people a little bit more about uh like for instance the seniors at coltech if i talked to them a little bit more about hey uh how do i get a job they would have probably told me hey you need to have internships uh and, and then i would have been able to make a decision to say okay i'm going to try my hardest to get like two internships before i graduate so at least i can get a job and now, part of the reason why I'm here today is because I didn't do that, because then I would have probably just gotten a job on my time. My life would have been completely different. Would it have been better? I don't know. Would it have been worse? Could be. But I would. But I think I would have been in a better position. I wouldn't have had to rely on luck as much if I had understood the context a little bit better, is, what I, is how I put it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I super love that you intro- um, use the term survivor bias because that was one of my fears when you ask people for advice, you know, so often. It's because they are successful, you you know, like, it's uh, just because they did this and were successful doesn't mean that if you do that, you will be successful also. There are a lot of people who did that and weren't successful. So, yeah, I think your advice about getting information and stuff is, um, you know, I think uh, has... Like, I, I totally agree with it because it's what I've been doing and I think helps me so much. Um, yeah, and and yeah, thanks for giving me the advice to get an internship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <it's>, yeah, <laughs> um, I've been trying. So, mm. yeah, it's similar stories to you. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, but I'm hoping to learn from the information you gave me. Mm, yeah and hopefully uh this podcast will help somebody else not make similar mistakes with us yeah yeah that's the goal <laughs> but yeah i'd say that's um that's coming around to the end of the time i don't know how many people would still want to listen to us talk <laughs> so um thanks for agreeing to be on this podcast um i think the conversation was super interesting and you've given people like a lot to think about and um in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So do you have any lost words? No, uh, just, you know, thanks for having me. I appreciated it. Uh, good luck with the, uh, the content making.